0: So we're in this this series of messages that we've entitled, What If? And and there's a lot of what ifs that we've looked at. What if everyone gave? What if everyone loved? What if everyone um, served? And it's all about really one thing, if if you narrow it down, and it's one of the things that that they they were kind of playing out in front of us here, is this whole idea of stewardship. It's this whole idea that we have a tendency just like good old Bob Humbug in the skit, to look at a lot of things and say, mine. It's mine. We look at our time, and we go, mine. We look at our our money, our finances, and we go, mine. We look at the the gifts and the abilities and and how we use them and where we use them and where we don't, and and so often we go, mine. Mine. And we say, that's great that you have this, or that there's this, and all oh, that's fantastic, but this is mine, and I'm going to use my stuff, my talents, how I want to. And so what happens is, is we, over time, we, we create this perception that it is ours, that it does belong to us, that it is mine, and it's mine to do with what I, what I want to do with it. And you know what? God has given you the ability to do that. But if we choose to do that, then we're stepping outside of God's path and we're stepping outside God's economy, which means all of the amazing things that we read about in Scripture, all the promises, all the declarations that are found here in God's Word, if we don't live in covenant relationship with Him, which means... If the Bible says that we give him all and control over all. Then what happens is that all of those things that we talk about in Scripture, all those promises, we forfeit the application of those, those promises in our life. Why? Because we're not walking really in covenant relationship with Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, I thought you were saying a couple weeks ago that we don't have all these things that we have to check off. Anyway, that's right. But here's the thing. Just like the skit illustrated, we don't have it as a hardware problem. It's an application problem. Because the thing is, if we surrender our life to Christ, if we truly do that and we truly begin to look and to see how God wants us to live and what God teaches us, that we're supposed to do then what should happen is is that through that change and through our change of heart that then we should begin to our our steps should begin to line up more with what God's word says now does that mean that we're going to be perfect absolutely not we're still going to get it wrong and we're still going to make mistakes but we can't make mistakes with the excuse of oh I'm going to make a mistake anyways right you see that Is where application, intent, where our heart is. If we're truly serving Christ, if we truly want to be in relationship with Christ, then we shouldn't be looking for a way to do what we want to do so that we can justify it somewhere down the track. Does that make sense to everybody this morning? It's okay you can say yes to that. Unless it doesn't. So this morning what we do we want to do is we're gonna talk about what if everyone united. What do I mean by that? What if everyone united? What if everyone gave, loved, and served? If we united amongst the, the three key principles found in God's Word, what would our church, what our community, what would our lives look like if we just did what God has called us to do? If you have your Bibles this morning, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And it laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, this is coming after the the, the great awakening in Jerusalem, after Jesus has died and he's he's risen. And the the apostles were waiting in the upper room. And we know that day in in Acts chapter 2, that over 3,000 people were added to the church, to the faith in that one day. And so we're really beginning to see the early church really start to form and to function and to become an entity and to become what it is. Now, the amazing thing that the scripture says here, it says that the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, or one heart and one mind. It means they, they were united on a singular purpose. And it basically they even went a step further in that all of their possessions, all of their land, all of their belongings, everything that they had, the early church brought together and they said it, they said, Okay, let's do all this life together. I'm I'm giving everything, I'm all in, I'm 100% putting everything I have into the game. And so it says that they were all in one heart, in one mind. Now the interesting thing is, is if you look again in verse 34, it says what? There was not a needy person among them. Now we can look at that need and we can look at it in many different ways. Or does that mean that everybody was financially secure? Well, obviously, that there, there is a financial piece of this picture based on the fact that the ones who own lands and own houses and all that, and they brought the proceeds. But it also means that because they were of singular focus, because they were united in their love, they were united with their finances, and they were united in their serving of God. And when those three components come together, what it does is it releases... God's resources, and it releases God's people to be who God's people has called us to be. And what happens is everyone took care of one another. Their spiritual needs, their emotional needs, their physical needs, their financial needs, everything. And because everyone was united on a singular focus and on a singular purpose to see God's kingdom magnified and glorified. That was their their commonality, was they were united on the cross. And so what happened is, is that it began to be more important to think about each other than it was to think about me, the mind. The selflessness part begins to fall away, and we begin to have an outward focus. The, the Barna Research Group, which is a—George Barna has been around for forever, I think. Um, and he's always done all of these uh, statistical analysis and studies of— of kind of church trends and things that are happening in the life of church. And they go all across the country and they, they, they do all these surveys in churches and they kind of take all their data and they compile it and they kind of make a, a pretty good picture of how most of us think or act or, or what we say. So they went into a bunch of churches across America and they asked why does the church exist? 89% of the members Surveyed, said the church's purpose is to take care of my families and my needs. For many, the role of the pastor is simply to keep the sheep that are already in the pen happy and not lose any of them. Are you happy this morning? Everybody, guess? Only 11. Percent said the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting is they also surveyed the pastors of these same churches. And they asked the pastors, why does the church exist? Amazingly, the results were exactly the opposite. Of the pastors surveyed, 90% said the purpose of the church was to win the world for Jesus Christ, and 10% said it was to not lose too many sheep. Is it any wonder that there's conflict and there's, there, we have stagnant churches all across America if we honestly believe that the whole purpose, the sole purpose of the reason that we exist and we have the church of Jesus Christ is to powder people's rear ends? I don't know that might not be the nicest way to say it, but it makes sense to me. I don't know about you. But is that really, is that what Jesus died for? Is that what Jesus died for? Jesus died so that we could have like a lifelong nursery program that everyone could come in and get their fill and they could feel okay about the way everything works. They could decide how they wanted to apply scripture to their life, which pieces of the gospel they want to take, which pieces of the gospel they don't want to take. And that's what Jesus surrendered his life for. And that's what the, the apostles and all the early saints literally gave their lives for. Was so that we could have grown up nurseries that we call churches. Or did Jesus mean what he said when he was ascending to the Father and he said, Go into all the world and what preach the gospel so if he wants you to go preach the gospel to all the world then what does that mean that Jesus was telling us our single purpose was to make disciples to preach the gospel and to allow God do what only he can do to change hearts and lives and so that in, in order to do that, that we're supposed, to un, we're supposed to unite around the cause of the cross of Jesus. And that we're supposed to go all in. And that then when Barna would go and do this, 100% of people. Now, I'll say this and say that. That doesn't mean that you're not valued and that you're not important. Because you are. And because Jesus did give us a responsibility To the people that are in our church. That we are supposed to continue discipling you. To continue to release you. And the Bible says to equip you, as we're going to talk about in a minute, for the ministry of the work of the church. What's amazing is in just a matter of weeks, the early church went from the upper room to almost every living room in Jerusalem. In a matter of weeks, they had become the talk of the town. Everyone was talking about what was happening. Everybody was wondering exactly what was going on because so many people were starting to get curious. They were starting to ask questions, and they were really starting to to ask, who really is this Jesus guy? What are these guys talking about? They're saying he's alive. They're saying this. They're saying that. And it sounds crazy, but I mean, look what God's doing. It's really hard to ignore. And, And scholars estimate that in the first 25 years of the church's existence, 25 years from the upper room on, that they went from 120 people to over 200,000 people in 25 years. Something that at the day of Pentecost was really born, there was nothing that existed really before that like this. And they were taking the teachings of Jesus, and in 25 years, in over 200,000 people. Because their singular purpose, as the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, was they had one heart and they had one mind and they had one purpose. And because they were willing to put everything that they had in their lives into the game, to go all in with Jesus, that God then took as only he can do. And he broke it and he multiplied it and he used it for his glory and he used it in his kingdom. And 200,000 people. And if you look throughout the ages of how that exponentially has grown. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says this. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. My granddad used to have this saying. We had two of them that were really funny. The first one is, he would say, if you got an issue, here's a tissue. (laughs) And the second one that he would say is, and maybe this is just a southern thing, I don't know, but he would say, if you got mad you'll have to get glad in the same britches you got mad in. In other words, kind of what the Scripture is telling us is we have to bear with each other, right? We're going to have disagreements. We're going to, you're not going to agree with everybody on everything, right? It's not going to happen. That's not realistic. There's going to be things that happen in life. But the Bible says to bear with one another and to forgive one another, or somebody accidentally steps on your toes. As the Lord forgave you. And Jesus said the same measure that you use will be measured to you. So the same scale in the way you judge people and the way you judge when you have conflict, Jesus goes, it's great, absolutely, you can do that. But just remember that when I judge you, I will judge you with the same scale that you're judging everyone else in. But that puts that in a totally different perspective, doesn't it? A lot of people, would, if they really thought about what that meant, would probably go a lot easier on people. Because I want to be graded on the curve, don't you? Especially if it's when I'm driving. Right? And one of the things is, if we talk about uniting, we talk about, we talk about giving, we talk about time, we talk about energy, we talk about our talents, we talk about our resources. Here's the thing that we have to keep in mind. What Jesus and what God actually commanded us to do, the Bible says th- these words and they're key, because this is about application. First fruits. So I want everybody to say it with me. First fruits. One more time. First fruits. Okay, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. It means this. Have you've ever been to an apple orchard in here before, raise your hand. Come on. I've lived here like two weeks and I've gone to the apple orchard. <laughs> some of you need to get out a little bit more, right? Call me and I'll take you. So we, my family and I went to the, to the apple orchard the other week with, uh, with some people from church. And we were, the, the kids all wanted this specific apple, this type of apple. I don't remember what it's called because I don't eat fruit. Um, I don't. I eat meat, okay? That's it, all right? We've been over this. I eat meat and potatoes and occasionally, you know, rice and green beans sometimes. That's it, all right? That's my diet. Let's get it out of the way, all right? So we're at this apple orchard, um, and the kids all want this specific type of apple, and apparently it's like the best apple, right? Because there's none. Thank you, son. <laughs> Honey Chris. Thanks for the help, buddy. Honey crisp. Honey crisp apples. And so we walked. And we walked. And we looked. And there was not a honey crisp to be found that was edible or on the tree. But what there was is there was a lot of honey crisp and other apples that were on the ground that had fallen. They, you know, no, you don't want to eat that, right? Because stuff had gotten into there and, you know, ew. So everyone was disappointed. There was no Honey Crisps. Why? Because somebody had come through and everybody had already picked the trees clean. And the only thing that was left was something that nobody really wanted anyways. And that's what they make the apple cider out of. That's a joke. (laughs) So God tells us that when it comes to our time, our energy, our talents, and oh, here's the big one, our finances, that he commands us to bring our first fruits. Everybody say it again, first fruits. And what that means is, is we don't give God the garbage that's left on the ground that nobody wants. It doesn't mean after we've done everything that we want to do, mine, 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 you know, like those birds on Nemo. That's not the attitude with which we're supposed to live. God says, I want your first fruits Before you do anything else, I want you to bring your time, your energy, your talent, your finances. And I want you to give it to me. And then what's left, I want you to be a steward over. That's what the Bible actually teaches us to do. But so many of us live our lives the opposite way. We're like, you know, oh, well... I guess I could go down there and do that. I could serve. Yeah, I could do that. But, you know, a little bit of time I have left. How many of you ever said that? With what little bit of time I have left, I reckon I, you know. No, that's not first fruits. That's the garbage on the ground. And what's amazing is, is that if we line up our lives with God's economy and we live the way that God's called us to do, it's amazing how God will bless you. It's amazing how much more time you will have. It's amazing how much more you will be able to do with what you have because you put it in the hands of the person who can do more with it than you ever could. And so if we all united around these principles, if we all united and we all moved together and pushed together, imagine what God would do. Not only in here, but imagine what God could do in your life. Imagine what God would do in your family situation if you trusted him and gave the first fruits. Now we have a great example of this in the book of Genesis with Cain and Abel. It's the first murder in the Bible. Brother versus brother. Now Abel brought the best that he had. He searched and he looked and he made sure that the sacrifice, that the gift that he was bringing to God was indeed his all right, class, class. So we'll, we'll edit that part out of the tape and we'll try it again. Okay, here we go. So, so Abel, he goes and he looks and he tries to find his best because he wanted to offer God his Wow. Man, see what happens when we unite? Because he wanted to make sure that he brought God his best as God had commanded him to do. And then on the flip side of the coin, his brother brings what was left, just what he could, you know, all right, I got it done. And God blessed the first fruits, and God rejected the leftover. And so jealousy sat in. Brother was mad at brother. Why? Because one guy did what he was supposed to do. The other guy didn't. And what happens? He kills him. And you see, the Bible gives us this clear picture that if we, if we bring our first fruits, right, our, our finances, our time, our energy, our talents, our hearts, all that we have to give to God, if we bring him what's first and we say, God, this is yours. I want you to do what only you can do in this then God is going to bless you. You know why? Because the Bible says it. Now, does that mean that God's going to give you an overabundance of cash if you, if, you, if you started giving and you're not currently giving? No. God is not Merrill Lynch. Okay? God does not have some great stock secret or tip for you. That's not the way it works. But what God can do and what God will do is I bet as when this little boy brought some loaves and fishes to Jesus in the Bible that there was 12 baskets left over after everyone had already eaten. You know why? Because that little boy was willing to take an insignificant-seeming amount of food and put it in the hands of the person who can multiply it. And so what happened? That lunch, that dinner, those fish, those loaves, however you want to look at it, they went exponentially further than they ever should have. And if you trust God with your finances— I can tell you this, God is not going to bless you and make you a millionaire tomorrow or give you a great car. You you know, uh, Bill Gates isn't going to pull up in your driveway and be like, I'm paying off your mortgage today. He might, but doubtful. But what God will do is God will take, when you place your finances in his hands, God will take that gift and he will multiply it and he will use it in his kingdom first of all. And then he will take what you have and he will cause it, to go much further than it ever has before. And it's amazing. There's testimony after testimony after testimony of God's faithfulness when we trust God with our finances. When we say, God, I'm going to sow into your kingdom. I'm going to bring that. Man. Either I'm a lousy teacher or you guys are starting to sleep. Because God wants us to bring our first fruits. When it comes to your time... Our time is sacred to all of us, and it seems like we don't have a lot of it. We're always looking for more of it. You know what really the problem is with our time? It's not that we don't have any time. It's just we are terrible managers of time. The amount of things that we sow our time resources into, if you really stop and look at them, are just, there's so much garbage time. And what's amazing how our priorities and our hearts and the things that really we value and the things that matter, that how they will begin to line up if we bring God our of our time, our energy, our efforts, our talents, our abilities. And we say, God, I want you to do what only you can do with what I've given you. What if everyone United. The Bible talks about that, that unity is to be preserved. And Paul wrote and he said that not that we need to create unity. You never see anywhere in the scripture that the Bible tells us to create unity. Ever. What it does say, though, is it says to preserve unity. You see, God is the author of unity because if we are if we're doing our part, If we're if we're going all in, if we're if we're sowing seed of our life, of our time, our energy, our finances, all of that stuff, and we put it in right perspective and we put it in God's hands the way He's He's ordained it, then what happens is we become like that early church, where it says they had one mind and they had one heart, and they were walking together in perfect unity towards this one goal, towards this perfect outcome. And if we do that, then that unity is preserved because it's already there. The thing is, we just have to walk in it. So we have to preserve it, not create it. We have unity as a church in diversity. Remember this, and and this is the thing that I think for a long time, you know, a lot of churches, they looked like social clubs. You know, well, if you're going to come in here, you better have the right jacket on. Or you better be this way you better have this kind of haircut I remember when I was a kid I had really long hair and a lot of people in church didn't like long hair on boys I never could understand it because in my Bible every picture of Jesus he had long hair (laughs) everybody at church kept telling me I shouldn't have long hair I was like Jesus has long hair look at the picture For so long, we we looked at at things like that. But we have to understand, too, that there is unity in diversity, that unity does not imply that I lost my place. Unity does not imply that we're all going to look the same. Unity does not imply that we're all going to act the same. It doesn't mean that we're all going to serve the same or do the same types of things that God has called us to do. Unity doesn't have uniformity. It is diverse because we all have a different purpose and we all have a different thing that God has called us to do. Diversity of gifts leads to unity. In Ephesians, in verse 12, there's that famous book or famous section where he's going through gifts. And he talks about that the the goal of pastors and the role of pastors. We opened up this message talking about that. And he says this in verse 12. That for the equipping of the saints. That's the job of the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists, and that it says, for the equipping of the saints to do the work for building up the body of Christ. Now it's interesting, and this is what I want you to really focus on um, for just a couple minutes. That the word in the Greek that is that is rendered equipping, right? That word equipping. It's a very interesting word, because the, w- the way that word is used in the Greek language is it, it, it's used along with the idea of equipping or the fitting out of a ship, right? So you're getting ready to go on a long journey, in these days on a wooden boat that doesn't have a motor, it has wind, so it has sails and lots of them. And so you think about when you're going on a long journey like they did on a shipping vessel like this, imagine all of the things that they had to have. And this word in this verse says that the goal and the job and the calling of pastors and teachers and evangelists is for the equipping of the saints. And so basically God is saying we're like a big old boat. And each and every one of you that are in here serve a different role. And so, how we outfit and how we fit that boat, there are sails and there are ropes and there are people and there are different things. There has to be food, there has to be provisions. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on of all the things that are needed. And so, what God has called us to do is to transform this community and to reach people and to preach the gospel. But also, once people get in here, that we are to equip you to go make more disciples. And when we all come together, the Bible says that in Ephesians, that we become this one body that's working in concert. It's working in unity together towards this common purpose. And that's the reason that the early church was so successful. It wasn't that they had some giant secret. It wasn't that God blessed them more or, God, that they were better people than any of you. They were average people. That God did extraordinary things. And why? Because they came together with a single purpose, with a single heart and a single mind. What if we, as a church, united? What if we moved together? In 25 years, over 200,000 people from Jerusalem to Samaria, into Asia, Greece, and Rome. In just 25 years, it spread. From 120 people gathered in an upper room. And in 300 years after Paul's conversion... On the road to Damascus, scholars, we we see the enormous spread of the gospel. In fact, it spread so far that the superpower of the day, the Roman Empire, 300 years after the conversion of Paul, that Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. And it begins to spread throughout Europe. And eventually takes the entire world. By storm, because people had the unity and the heart and the mind together. What if we all unified behind a common purpose that God has given us? We could change the world in much the same way the early church not only changed their world, but also they've affected our world. Imagine that you and I are sitting here today because of what they did. Because of the sacrifices and because of the unity that they had together towards a singular goal, towards a singular purpose, towards a singular thing. And because they were willing to bring their first fruits. That if we bring our first fruits, we bring our lives, we bring our time, we bring our energy, and we bring our finances. It's amazing what God will do if we just let him. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for for your word. God, we thank you for, for what you're doing in this place. God, we thank you for all that you've given to us. And God, we thank you for the lives that we've seen changed because of what you're doing in their hearts and in their lives, God. God, we thank you for... The people that have, have come forward, Lord, and, and those that were baptized today, God, we celebrate your goodness and your mercy and what you're doing And then this morning. God, it's amazing the abilities that you're beginning, the doors that you're beginning to open, and the ways that we're going to be able to, I believe, impact this world because in this, in this city, in this community because you've called us for that purpose. And if you've called us, then you're going to equip us. And if you've called and equipped us, then your word says that you're gonna see it through. But God, we can't do any of that if we're not willing to go all in. We can't do that if we're not willing to bring our first fruits and to, and to do what you called us to do. To trust you with our time, our energy, our efforts, and our finances to bring into the storehouse. And God, I pray this morning in, in Lord, by faith we believe that God, that you're stirring hearts and you're stirring minds. And God, we talked about a few weeks ago the statistics of our own church and how we give and how we serve and how we look. And God, you know that. But God, this morning by faith that we believe that you're going to do exceedingly abundantly and that, Lord, that you are beginning to move and that you're beginning to stir people and that, Lord, as we all begin to come together, unified for this purpose, that we bring our first fruits, God, that you're going to expand us and you're going to allow us the ability to see this community transformed for your kingdom's glory. God, we know it because you said it and because you declared it. So this morning, I I, I asked not for my benefit, but for yours and for God's benefits. This morning, if you say, I want to be, I'll be a first fruit person. Or maybe you say, I already am a first fruit person, but I'm going to take inventory and make sure I am. I am willing to unite with the rest of my body and I'm going to, I'm going to, bring my time, I'm going to bring my talents, I'm going to bring my resources, I'm going to bring my finances, how can I serve, what can I do, how can I do it? I want to be a part of being a part of the body and what God has called me to do. And we talked about what if everyone loved and served and gave this whole month, and today is the opportunity, it's the culmination for us to unite together the same way the early church did in Acts, that with one heart, with one mind with singular purpose that we will press on to what God wants to do. If you'll join me this morning you say, I want to unite, I'll unite, I'll unite. I want you to just slip your hand up, slip it up and hold it up and say, "I'll, I'll be a uniter. I'll bring what I have to the table. I'll be a first fruits kind of person because God, I know that you've called me. God, I know that you've directed me to be a first-fruits person. And God, I will do that. I will sow, I will invest my time, my energy, my talents because you get the glory. God, we thank you, Lord. You see all the hands, Lord, you know. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, God, that you would even begin to do it in their lives. God, that they would begin to see what happens when we trust you with every single place of our life and our heart. And we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And let the church say amen this morning. Amen.